0: Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. I wish, I've always wished that I could know what he was writing on the ground, is the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of three major festivals that God's people, the Jewish people, celebrated every year. It was, it was something like our Thanksgiving. Everybody traveled for it. But in their case, everyone traveled to the exact same place. They all traveled back to Jerusalem, even Jesus. But this is like something straight out of a spy movie Jesus doesn't just go as himself. He goes in disguise. He goes dressed up because at this point in Jesus' ministry, everyone knew who he was. They didn't really know who he was. When Jesus got to Jerusalem, he, he did what he, he always does. He, he went to the temple and he, and he began teaching there in the temple courts. Amazement doesn't even begin to describe what the people experienced, what their feelings were. Even the temple guards were impressed. They were amazed. Some people saw right through his disguise. They said, this is him. This is the Messiah. They didn't know what to think though. Other people thought, no, he, he's a prophet. That's who he is. But most people, they, they didn't know what to think. There was a group who did. The religious leaders. They knew what... They thought of him and they wanted him dead. So they started to come up with a plan, a conspiracy that would get them to to move him closer to be on trial so they could put him to death. What they did is this. While he was teaching in the temple courts, this happened. They came in, brought a woman who was wearing a scarlet letter. She was an adulteress. And they said this, teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? The case was simple. The law is clear. But Jesus knew they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. If he said that they should stone her, well, then he is, he's brutal. If he said that they shouldn't, then... He doesn't care about the law of Moses. Jesus knew the trap, so what he did is he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I wish that I could be there to know what he wrote on the ground. But more so, I wish I was there to hear what he said next. What he said to them is this, he said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone against her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I wish I could be there to know what he was writing on the ground. I wish I could be there to hear that mic drop moment when he, when he finally spoke and said this line. But I also wish that I could be there to see their faces as they walked away. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. I wish I could be there to see what he was writing on the ground, to hear what he said to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I wish I could be there to see them walk away to drop their stones, the older ones first, and then finally the younger ones. But most of all, I wish I could be there for what Jesus said to this woman. I wish I could could be standing maybe in her shoes or at least behind her to hear Jesus say this. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said then neither do I, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. This woman went to the temple fully expecting that she was going to receive consequence, that she was going to receive condemnation, that she was going to receive justice, that she was going to receive judgment. But what did Jesus give her? He gave her freedom. He gave her freedom to go to leave the life she used to live. That's what Jesus gave her. Her Lord and Savior gave her freedom. But here's the big question that we're asking today. Is freedom from what? What did Jesus free her from? And you say, oh, Pastor Matt, that's easy. He he freed her from death, from from certain condemnation. That's what she would have gotten. And he freed her from that. Not wrong. Say, okay. He freed her from a life cycle of sexuality that isn't in line with Christianity. Also, not wrong. But what Jesus freed her from and what he freed us from, it goes beyond that. It goes deeper than that. It's much more significant than even those things. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because in our lesson that we read just a moment ago, what Jesus does is he, he offers his own interpretation of the encounter with that woman, and he offers it to the people that were there standing around him. And it's important that we understand the setting. Jesus is talking to Jews who had believed him. All the ones who didn't believe who, who he was, they got up and left. But those who thought, you know what, maybe this is him. Maybe this is Messiah. They stuck around. Jesus said to him, If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. But when we ask that question, free from what? Well, it it begs the question what were we enslaved to? What were we in bondage to? You, you gotta ask if you're talking about freedom. What did you hope to escape? What, what were you leaving behind? What do you no longer want to be a slave to? Jesus answers that question. Jesus answers that question in our text this morning with clarity because he had to. <laughs> because the people to whom he was speaking, they thought they were free, but they had no idea what they were free from. They had no idea what they had been a slave to. And so they went on thinking they were free, but they were really not free at all. Look at how our text starts out. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Barring the fact that they forgot about 300 years of history in Egypt where they were slaves, slaves, here was their point. They weren't necessarily talking about that, but their point was this, that they didn't need Jesus's freedom. They didn't need this freedom that he was talking about because they didn't see themselves as people who needed to be free. They said, oh, that adulterous woman, she needed freedom, but not us. We're not heathens like that. We're free because we're Abraham's descendants. We're free because of our religion. We're free because we come to the Feast of Tabernacles. We go to the temple. We offer our tithe and we are God's people. That's why we're free. And we don't need your freedom. Jesus he spoke to them after they said, Abraham is our father. He said, if you were Abraham's children, then you would not do, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Jesus' point is simple. It's that your religion doesn't match your life. That's what he said to him. And I put religion in quotes because what we're talking about is an outward moral adherence to laws, to to moral performance as a means salvation. He said, even if Abraham was about that, he he didn't do what you're doing because Abraham, he he was about his religion. He knew his religion. He didn't forget certain aspects of it like, oh, say murder. No, what you're doing is inconsistent. There is a massive inconsistency between your religion and your life, but they doubled down. The people to whom Jesus were talking about said, whoa, We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Interesting, people just said, first of all, our father is Abraham. Switch it up. After Jesus took that ammo away from them, took that argument away from them, they go, oh, no, 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 no. Here's this real pious sounding thing. The only father we've ever had is God. Jesus doubles down on his point he said, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Again, Jesus' point is clear. He says to them, he says, look, Abraham wouldn't do this. And he claimed to be Abraham's children. If you you were, you wouldn't want to kill me. You claim to be God's children. And if you were, you would love me. But as it is, you hate me. You're trying to kill me. And so what Jesus said to him is that God's not your father. Abraham's not your father. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. It's kind of harsh. What happened to him talking about to the Jews who had believed. I mean, didn't they have faith? It said they believed. How is it that Jesus can call them out? Why is it that Jesus can say, Abraham's not your father. God's not your father. The devil is your father. The one who is a liar from the beginning, that one is your father. Tch. Wasn't he talking to people who, who believed in God? Well, what you see is that the thing that enslaved These people, it's the very same thing that enslaved that woman. It's just two sides of the same coin. For the adulterous woman, she she was enslaved to what we might call immoral performance. Uh, That was her religion, irreligion, if you will. It was doing things that were not morally sound and, and doing them to fill a hole in her heart. But what they were doing, it was was no different. It was moral performance. That was their religion. And you know all about what they did. They went to the feast. They went to the tabernacle. They went to all of this stuff so that they could morally perform what God did so that morally they would fill the hole that was in their heart. But it was the same thing. One, it was religion. The other, it was irreligion. But it was all the same thing. It was about them. It was a religion to themselves, their performance, a slavery to themselves and their performance. Right now, we live in, well, an age of authenticity where the most common advice you hear is be yourself. You do you. Be free to be yourself. Did you know right behind? Set new horizons, the most common theme in college commencement speeches, it's this. Be you. Be yourself. And we do. We want people uh, that we can marry who are authentic people. We want bosses to be authentic with us. We want friends who are authentic. And so we champion this idea that you are free to be yourself. Can I tell you something about this advice? Absolutely terrible. I mean, just just go with me on a journey, taking this idea to its logical end: that you can be free to be yourself. Take, for instance, uh, someone who has extremist ideologies. They're themselves. They're they're being true to who they believe they are. Their authentic person. When they take their life and the lives of innocent others. Because what they've heard is they get to decide who they are and they get to just be themselves. Say, Pastor Matt, that's not how it works. That's not how that advice works. You're right, it doesn't have to be that radical. It doesn't have to be that extreme. A decade ago, author A.J. Jacobs, he did an experiment. He did an experiment to see if this advice really worked, if it was true, if being yourself really brought about more happiness, more freedom, better relationships. And so he set out on a month-long project where he was going to be true to who he was. He was going to be his authentic self at all costs to see if it really worked. And so this author sat down at a lunch meeting with an editor. And halfway through the meal, he noticed that this was an attractive woman. So he told her that if I was single, I would try to ask you out on a date. Later that day, he went to the park with his friends, and his friend's five-year-old daughter came up to him and showed him a beetle and said, AJ, the beetle's sleeping. And because he was being true to who he was, he said, no, it's not. It's dead. Made the young girl cry. Later in the month, he went to go visit his in-laws and and halfway through the conversation in their living room, he got up, walked out, and when asked where he was going and and why he was leaving, he said, because this conversation is boring me. How do you think his experiment worked out? Be yourself. It's a very, very common idea. And it's advice peripherated throughout our culture. and, And I wonder... Well, if it's advice we listen to a little bit, or maybe a lot, and take hook, line, and sinker, we hear be yourself, and so we think, all right, I'm free to express my feelings, express the way I feel, and you do, even though what you're doing is, is clearly gossip, you say, oh, but it, it's true doesn't matter. God's word says, true or not, gossiping is is, is wrong, and it destroys reputations. We hear, be yourself. As Christians, we think, all right, as myself, I am free to worship however I want, whenever I want, how often I want. And we forget that God's word says, if you worship in a way that, that doesn't include the preaching and teaching of my word and and doesn't include partaking of my sacraments and doing this in the context of Christian community and, and doing it regularly. You're not worshiping me. You're worshiping your own ideas and your own idols. We hear be yourself. And we think, okay, I am free to be who I want to be. And and we work and we strive to to have these identities that are unique, that that stand out. And we do it at at sometimes the cost of, well, our character. We forget that God already tells us your identity, you are special, you are chosen. You you're my son and daughter. We hear be yourself. And we think, all right, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to lead by example. And so we talk about or or show out how how we are good citizens, how we do morally good and ethical things. And you justify it the way you want, but it's boasting. And we forget that God's word says, no, stop this. It is by grace you have been saved apart from works so that no one can boast. We hear, be yourself. And we think, all right, I know myself, I'm a child, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God. And yet our lives, the priorities in our lives are are radically different than our fathers. But the adulterous woman, her religion or her irreligion, it was immoral performance. For the Jews who were gathered around Jesus, their religion was moral performance. In an age of relativity where morals are more or less subjective, we've done away with that. And it's just performance of us. It's performance of you, our authentic self. Be who you are. You do you. And the highest happiness, the highest sense of freedom that you can find is doing you as well as you can do yourself. But freedom, often interpreted to, to be this thing that means you can do whatever you want, doesn't truly result in that. That sentiment doesn't move you towards more freedom. It enslaves you, enslaves you to yourself. Jesus said this He said, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. (laughs) He said, if you hold to my teachings, he said, if you hold to my word, you're really my disciple, then you will be free. It's not enough to just know Jesus is a cool dude. It's not just enough to know that he's the one who promotes and starts the ideas about love and generosity and wholeheartedness and then go out and live and do your own thing. Jesus said, it is my word. It is holding to my word. It is hungering for, looking for, starving for opportunities to feed yourself more and more with my word that makes you my disciple. And then, then you will know the truth that sets you free. The gospel truth about freedom, that it is not about you being someone or or becoming someone or something when you do yourself and have freedom to be yourself that makes you anyone, but it is one. There is one who lived and died for you and freed you from yourself. We're asking the question, free from what? We're slaves to what? We are free from our performance. Yes. From the woman, it was her immoral performance. From the Jews, it was their moral performance. From us, it's, it's the performance of ourselves to do us and be us to be something that Jesus frees us from and says the standards that you're trying to live to, that you're promoting, that you're coming up with, I have freed you from those. In 1520, Martin Luther, he wrote a book called On Christian Freedom. And he said that the person, the person who who finds himself in the center of God's mercy given to them through God's word becomes the true bride of Christ and has everything that Christ gives to offer. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from the power of the devil, freedom from trying to get right with God because they have peace with God. He said, in summary, that person, the person at the center of God's mercy, at the center of his word, what they find is that they're children of freedom. Speaking of Martin Luther, We talked before the service about how we're celebrating the 502nd anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. We're celebrating the fact that through this man, God ignited a revolution, a revolution that brought grace, that brought the message of the gospel back to its central place in the life of Christians. Martin Luther did a lot of his work by writing. You know what the last thing he ever wrote was? Well, in 1546 in Eisleben Germany, just moments after he fell asleep in his Lord and went to heaven, his friends, his colleagues and his family found a little scroll in his pocket, a piece of paper that said this: "We are beggars. This is true." What these words remind us is that God's freedom, God's grace, God's mercy. It is not for people who think something of themselves. It is not for people who are doing just fine living on their own. No, God's grace, his freedom, his mercy, his forgiveness. It is for beggars, people broken in two, people who are broke beggars, who come before Christ and realize, they realize the lie, the lie that they are something of themselves, the the deceit that they are just fine doing themselves. What this reminds us of, well, it reminds us of our our posture as a Christian from the beginning of our life to the very end of our life. We are beggars. This is true. That's being real. That's being authentic. It's what maybe addicts call bottoming out, realizing that this is where we start building up from. And yet so often, if we have to beg for it, we'd rather live a lie. We'd rather live a lie and stay enslaved to that which is bonding us, keeping us from Christ, than realize who we are. What God's word tells us, what these words, these last written words from Luther remind us is that we are nothing in and of ourselves, that on our own, we are broke beggars standing for God. We can't on our own bring anything to the table that makes us right with him. We can't on our own make him happy. There is nothing in you that you have where you can just be yourself and be good, be right with God. But it happens when we come before our Lord and Savior and we stand there Stripped of all power, stripped of all pretense, and we stand there with our bowls empty and saying, Please, sir, may I have some more that our Lord Jesus takes everything that he has and he pours it out into us. He pours all of his freedom, all of his forgiveness, all of his love. And there in our bowls, we find the truth. We find the truth that you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave to sin, but rather you are a son and a daughter of the most high God. And what Jesus tells us in his word is this, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, a son, a son and a daughter belongs to it forever. So, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That is who you are. You are a daughter, you are a son of God, set free indeed by the capital S-O-N, the son of God, Jesus Christ. You are free from immoral performances. Stop, leave behind anything that you are doing that you are looking for to fill that hole in your heart. You are free from moral performance, trying to make promises to your church, make promises to your pastor, make promises to your friend that you're gonna do better next time. It's not about that. That's not what's going to find and fill the hole in your heart. Stop with the performance of of you, you trying to do you and be yourself, and simply find this, that you have a Savior who at the center of all of it is authentic and true, who has wrapped his arms around you and brought you to the center of his genuine, real promises, that you are free. You are free indeed. Question before we wrap this up, how are you experiencing that? How are you experiencing your freedom? In other words, how are you, how are you doing John chapter 8, verse 31, 32? It says this. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, literally, if you lego to mo, which means hold to my words. If you hold to my word, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's worth repeating The idea that that you can nominally be a Christian, that you can know him, that you can hear him, but then not cling to graphs, find opportunities to consume God's word, it it doesn't work. You can't go and, and hear his word and then go, I'm gonna go do my own thing. He said, if you hold to my teachings, if you hold to my word, if you grasp it, cling to it, remain in it, then you will know the truth. Then you will know the freedom bestowing truth and it'll set you free. It'll set you free from whatever chains come ringing to bring you away from me. Question I'm really asking is this, how are you experiencing your freedom? How are you holding to his word? How are you hearing his word? Because if you're not holding to his word, if you're not hearing his word, You're not experiencing his freedom. You're missing something. The analogy that I used in the kids' message, it it was taken from St. Augustine, who who talked about taking a fish that lived in a pond and and setting it out on a bank. Taking it out of the little pond that it lived in doesn't free it to live in a bigger, larger world. No, it destroys it because it's living contrary to its design. Same with us. If you take the Christian out of the sea of God's mercy and grace that that He has called us to, that He has put us in, if you take it out of the community of Christians where they are sharing the word with one another, you're not being freed for more. You're being destroyed because you're not living according to your Creator's design. Last month, October, it it has a a week, the second week where it's Mental Health Awareness Week. One of the greatest stories that I I heard from that week was of the work that Dr. Sam Everington is doing. He He is a psychologist who was working with people dealing with extreme loneliness, anxiety, and depression. What he noticed is that the medication that he was prescribing for people worked for some people some of the time but not for all the people, even close to all of the time. So what he had in mind to do that he was gonna prescribe something extra. What he would do with his patients that came in is that he would prescribe for them, they had to come to his office twice a week. They had to come twice a week and they would be forced more or less to sit around with other people who are experiencing the same symptoms that they were and not to complain not to talk about what, you know, doctors making us doing or or what's going on in our life, but they would come to do something together. And he left it up to them to decide what that would be. The very first meeting that this group have, one man, Larry, was so anxious about having to be in this setting that he he literally vomited anxiety. And he was so worried about having to talk to and, and be with this group. But then this group started talking about what they could do. They looked out back behind the doctor's office, and there's a a small pad of land that that was a mess. And so they decided they're gonna make a garden. And these these city folk, they they didn't know anything about gardening, but they started to watch YouTube videos and learn. They started to learn about soil types and, and seed types. They started to learn about the rhythms of the season. But something far more important happened. They formed a tribe. They formed a tribe where they took care of one another. They formed a tribe where where people would come having really bad days, really bad symptoms, and and they would talk to each other about that, encourage one another with what was going on. And what they found was freedom. They found freedom from the loneliness, freedom from the depression, freedom from the anxiety, and actually, Larry put it a lot better. (laughs) When I asked about this experience, what he said was, As the garden began to bloom, we began to bloom. What Dr. Sam Everington and and his patients discovered just just a couple years ago, it isn't something new. It's something that God has been telling us through his word for a very, very long time. And that is when we gather, we grow. And that is not just a, a quaint sounding truism that happens, but it is real. And here's why. During this sermon series, we're talking about the blessings of having a faith family, the blessings of getting together with people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And perhaps the greatest blessing of them all, the the blessing from which all other blessings flow, is that when this group gathers, we always gather together around God's word. We always hold to the word. We always cling to the teaching of Jesus Christ. In everything we do, it happens in our worship when we gather together here. It happens when we celebrate the sacraments of of communion and baptism. It happens when we get together for Bible classes, whether in life group, whether it's in adult education, in our foundations class. It happens when our kids get together. It happens all of the time. And that's why it's true. When we gather together, we grow. So how are you experiencing the freedom? How are you holding to God's word? Early in the sermon, I said it, and I still mean it. The advice to be yourself, it's terrible advice. It's bad. Stop saying it. But what if it wasn't? I mean, what if we reframed it just a little bit and it was actually really good advice? What if you and I constantly told one another to be ourselves? You told me to be myself. I told you to be yourself, but, but we did so understanding this, who you are. You are free because the sun has set you free indeed. That way when life gets messy, when the chains again start ringing to tempt you and, and, and to pull you back into a life of bondage to sin, you give me that advice, and I give you that advice. Be yourself. Be who you are. Be free because of Jesus Christ, the Son who has set you free indeed. But maybe don't be yourself. Be us. Be we. Be a faith family. Be a group of free people. Amen.